Thank you all so much for coming. I'm glad to see everybody this morning. I hope you're doing well. If you're new here and you have children and you want to send them to the Sunday school department, you can do that. And if you want to keep them with you, that's fine too. We love children and we don't mind loud kids. I always think it's funny that, you know, when we're trying to, I mean, within reason, you need to be able to train your children. But I think it's funny when somebody tries to create just such a sterile environment that um, it act, trying to control it actually creates more distraction, you know. So I, we love children, and we're, we're, they're a blessing from the Lord. But if you want to send them back, you can, and if you want to keep them with you, that's fine too. A couple other things that I want to make um, available again as, you know, we move on. I forget a lot of things, and I, I just assume people know. Um, but during worship, anytime, you know, during worship or even the sermon, we do have communion up here at any point. You're welcome to come up here and grab that and take it back to your seat or, or, or take it up here uh, with you and your family or whatever. It's available. It's up front. Um, while we were doing announcements, I actually got the, um, uh, an email from um, Dr. Gladstone to um, confirm dates, so let me give those to you guys, and we'll put them up on the board. Um, so it's going to be September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. So if you guys want to write that down, we'll put it up there and have it available for you guys. Um, thank you all for praying for him. He was supposed to come this next weekend, but um, he's had several procedures done, and the doctors told him it wasn't uh, wise for him to travel. So uh, they're going to let him rest, and then hopefully we'll be able to get him back in September. If you guys don't know who he is, um, a very instrumental man in my life, probably one of the top three uh, other than Jesus, who have had more impact in my life, um, moving me to where God has me to be than any other, other person that I've ever met. Um, so he was very instrumental in the Brownsville revival, if you guys know that, back in uh, Pensacola, Brownsville. Um, he also taught there as a um, professor, and he still teaches. Um, but he is um, a man who, at the flip of a switch, could have an international stage. In fact, most of the people that you know who are famous came up under him. And I could name some names, but I won't. Um, they're world-renowned. You would know their name. And he raised those men up, and they keep trying to push him to the front. And he says, no, I want to be involved in what God is doing in the ecclesia, in the ground roots of walking with people in daily life. And so he's turned down international stages. He's turned down all these things he could have had and all this. And they're constantly trying to push him there. And he, he just keeps saying no because he finds value in doing life with people and walking with them in discipleship, and that is the gospel. Amen? So a huge honor and respect that I have for him because he's not the kind of guy that's clamoring for power and attention and all the things that you guys want. He has them and has decided to not take them. And that's a huge testimony. So um, anyway, we're going to have him back in September. If you haven't heard his stuff, I, I encourage you to go look at it. Uh, there's not a lot on the Internet because he tries to keep that down as well, uh, but some of it sneaks out and people post things, and so you can Google him and listen to some of the things that he has. All right, um, what else? Oh, uh, real quick, I know David did a great job on announcements, but I want to remind you guys of two things. We have our worship night coming up. I think it's the 30th of July. We're going to have it at 7 o'clock at the um, amphitheater. Uh, we 
would hope that you come. It was, it's been really good the last few times we've had it. And then also August 5th, if you want to help either financially with prayer or even with just um, being available to help us on that day, we have our back to school bash, which guys, it's going to get, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, we hope even by next year, it's going to be big enough to where we've got most of the city involved and we might even be able to get some of like downtown sectioned off. We've got some, a lot of, um, a lot of interest. In fact, the city used to do one. They dropped it. They found out we were doing one, and they want to hand us everything they had, including their donors. So, um, yeah, so next year it's going to be even bigger. So we, we are going to need more and more help with that, even if it's just to show up and, and, and be a part. Uh, Daniel, Jared, and Abby, or y'all, raise your, raise your hands. If you guys are interested in that, find one of these guys who are raising their hand and uh, come talk to them. And... Uh, you know, even if it's just prayer or financial or whatever, they have all the needs. We, we've already purchased the backpacks. We have enough for 500, a little over 500 kids. Uh, our goal next year is to do, is to increase in the quality of the backpacks we can, we can give. Um, and we're going to have free haircuts. And those of you here last year, I think there was people that stood in line for three hours to get their kids' haircut. And we had three stylists constantly working. So this year we have seven that are coming. <laughs> Hopefully that'll, hopefully they'll be, um, you know, yeah, it's just trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus and love people where they're at. Um, so if you know of any pastors that want to be involved, please let me know. Um, we have a lot of local businesses that are being involved with that too. So August 5th, um, we, we, we need help. And then um, for those of you who are also interested in, in December, we are going to have a diaper drive. And here pretty soon, right after the bash, we're going to begin to announce that. And what we do every year is... is those who go shopping throughout the week, just buy a package of diapers. If you think about it, bring them to the church, drop them off, and we slowly start collecting those. And we give them out in the first part of December to single moms, so that way they don't have to have as much of a financial burden, and they can be uh, more available to buy Christmas gifts for their kids. So we do that out here, and we pass out free diapers and wipes uh, for several hours until we get rid of them all. So if you guys want to be a part of that, then um, get with one of those three guys as well, and... Uh, Hopefully we can touch people in a way that the church should be. Amen? All right. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, those of you who know, we've been in Ephesians for probably a year at least. We've gone verse by verse through the entire book. We're at the tail end of the last half of the chapter. So those of you who are new, welcome, but you're jumping in late stream. Um, if you want to know anything more about this series, it's on the internet. You can, you can search Proclaiming Jesus on any social media or uh, podcast platform and find the messages. What I'm going to encourage you to do is, is if anything touches your heart this morning, and I, want, I would like you to maybe, um, if you haven't listened to the Mind Renewal series that we did a few, a few months back, a year back, or whatever it was, I really encourage you to do that because... What I'm going to talk about this morning is very important to having your mind renewed. Guys, this is not a knock against the church, but if I were to guess, nine out of ten Christians, leaders, pastors, people do not have their minds renewed. They're moved by Emotion, circumstance, opinion, 
attack, betrayal. Everything can move them, some, some, it seems like, except the Holy Spirit. The devil has no access to a renewed mind. The only temptation that can fall upon a human being falls in the ground of an unrenewed mind. If you find yourself being pulled away from Jesus in any capacity, it's because the devil sees an opening inside of you and then gets you to blame somebody else for the hole that you created. In fact, we know one of the fruits of an unrenewed mind is accusation. If you have a marriage full of accusation, you have two people who have no concept of what mind renewal is. And they're taking their own personal deficits and they're using them to attack somebody else when they're the one at fault. Because if we were half as spiritual as we thought we were, we wouldn't be moved by the things that we're moved by. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus live an offended life? Did Jesus live in unforgiveness? Did he live in in unforgiveness? Did Did he not forgive people? Did Jesus live in bitterness? Did he live in his past? Did he live in the pain of betrayal? Then why do we? Because somehow in modern Christendom, we have this idea that Jesus is way out there, and that is his standard, and as long as I quote-unquote believe in him, then I'm okay. And sometimes it's your and and mine, our created version of theology that keeps us from God that we say we love. Because even the demons believe and tremble. So if there's no mind renewal in the Christian, there's going to be an open an opening for hell. I would say that most people live out of their opinion and their emotion, and their opinions are formed and forged by their emotion. Your opinions are a collection of pain and circumstances over the last 30 to 40 years of your life, or 50 or 60 years, however you are, old you are. And those opinions, if not shaped by the Word of God, begin to shape your character. And then pretty soon you become this untouchable entity that even God can't put his finger on. Because you think you know whatever. When really all you know is what you've been touched by in your history, in your pain, in your past. Church hurt you, husband hurt you, wife hurt you, dad hurt you, mom hurt you, somebody hurt you. They shouldn't have done that. Yet you're blind to all the people you've hurt. Does this make sense? So I think we're in verse uh, 12. Is that right, Jared? No, 11, sorry. Yep. Last half of verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the trickery, the wiles, the temptations, the traps of the devil. It takes the armor of God to be able to withstand the thing the enemy is going to be throwing at you. But here's the thing. Paul has spent 1 through 5, 1 through 6, chapters 1 through 6, hammering the people of God on the importance of community, of identity, of God's intention, his purpose, and his power. 
all to bring them to the point where he says, now that you have all of this put together for you in this package that I've built for you, you have the authority now to be able to use what I have imparted to you to be able to withstand against the thing the devil brings against you. The thing is, is that Paul has never once allowed in the Ephesian gospel the idea of an individualistic identity to override the whole. He's never taught one time that your personal relationship with Jesus overrides the community. In fact, your personal relationship with Jesus is there for the community. Anybody says that I don't have to go to church? It's like if you're not going to church, then your personal relationship with Jesus is frankly useless to only anybody but you. And you say, well, that's awesome. The problem I have with that is your father whom you claim to have in God, had a heart for a family that you don't have. So you tell me how tight your relationship with Jesus is whenever the father you say you love actually put you in a family that you despise. Who's more right with the father? Those who build his family or those who isolate from him? Because the gospel can be summed up in this. God wanted a family. He birthed the family. He lost the family, he sent his son to redeem a family, and now he's trying to get his family back again. That's the gospel. It's simple. And those who isolate from God's intention will never have God's blessing. Are you with me? He says you need to be able to withstand against the trickery of the devil. Here's the thing. The devil's been here longer than you have. See, the devil got to your grandparents and your great-grandparents. He knows them by name. He knows temptations they've had. He knows your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's deepest, darkest secrets. He's very familiar with the ways of humanity and the arrogance of mankind. He knows their shortcomings and their faults and their temptation points. He knows everything about what it is God made in a human being. And so he's got six, eight, ten thousand years of practice all preparing for your 70 years of life. You need, we need the armor of God, the ancient of days, the one who existed before our captivity, our captor and our aggressor. Because in and of ourselves, we do not have the capacity to overthrow someone who's had 6,000 years of practice on our own DNA. We need God. And we need to look at him in scripture the way he is, not the way we want him to be. There is so much inflection upon the gospel that comes from our own woundedness and pain that we put inside of the thing that is never supposed to exist in it. We begin to read the gospel through our circumstances. And the gospel existed before your circumstances. You are not the defining factor of interpreting the gospel of Jesus. Your opinions mean nothing to God. Mine neither. The only opinion we have is to say Jesus is king and to follow him every day of our life and read what's in the scriptures as literal as we possibly can. And it takes a community to be able to unfold that. And Paul has 
definitely done a good job. I, I think Ephesians is like his master epistle when it comes to the organization and the flow of the church of Jesus. So I want to I I outline a couple of the ways that the devil really gets to us, if that's okay. And I'm going to try to go through several of them. So the last time I preached was three or four weeks ago. Um, we talked about how the, one of the main tricks of the enemy is to attack your identity. Okay? We're so hungry for approval that oftentimes the only place we can find it in is, is in ourself. That's where pride is born. Pride is born where rejection laid the foundation. A rejected person, some of the most arrogant people you'll ever meet in your life are the people who were rejected when they were kids. On the, on the foundation of rejection, pride is built. Because they didn't get acceptance, were born for, to be accepted, thus going back to the community that God birthed to be accepting of one another, right? Gospel of Ephesians. When we don't get that thing, we begin to build something of self-acceptance within ourselves. And that's called arrogance. And then we demand everybody to bow to that idol that we created. And we call people our friends who worship the God we demand them to worship, which is ourself. And the people we get along with are the people that are just like us. We have no capacity for the weak or the inferior like Jesus did. Let me ask you a question. Are you a giver or a taker? And there's so many people that want to criticize the church, but I ask them, what have you given? I'm mean, showing up on Sunday is not giving to the church. And I'm not even talking about financially. Like, keep your money. Are you a giver to the kingdom of God? Or are you a taker? Because your father is a giver. And when we get touched by the father, the first thing we should want to do is to give. The first thing we should want to do is to love. The first thing we should want to do is to sacrifice. Why? Because that is our, it should be our DNA. And if you claim to be a lover of Jesus and you're not a giver, a sacrificer, or a lover, then I question your salvation. Because Jesus commands me to judge your fruit. People say, you can't judge. That is so wrong. I look at people who say that, like, you've never read your Bible. You have been trained biblically by your culture. In fact, Jesus says to judge. Paul echoes that in 1 Corinthians 5. The only people we can't judge are the people who claim no devotion to Messiah Jesus. But the moment you say, I'm a Christian, your life becomes able to be judged by the body. It would be better off for you not to say you're a believer than to say you are one and not be one because now you're open to the criticism of the church. But we don't like that, so we create an American culture where the church can't criticize anybody. And if they do criticize somebody, that's not love, and we take our marbles and go play somewhere else. And all you're going to find is a pastor who's going to pander you for your wallet. And they'll never tell you the truth. Amen? I don't care about your money. If you don't want to give it, please keep it. I don't care about your money. I care about your soul. So 
So I want to I use one of the ways that the enemy really highlights pulling us away from God, and that's through self-focus. Some people the enemy grabs a hold of to in the area of self-focus and the idea of selfishness or self-centeredness, self-fulfillment in the flesh. You know what that looks like. We don't have to go into that. Okay? If you're there, that is the most base level of temptation. Those are the petty peon demons. They're the weakest in the, in the kingdom of darkness, the ones that are attached to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the self-gratification, lust, gluttony, addiction, pornography, those types of things are the smallest, the weakest demons on the planet. Anybody who's ever tried to beat addiction? Doesn't feel very weak, but I'm telling you, those are the weakest ones in the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of, of, of darkness. The weakest. They prey upon the uncrucified flesh of mankind. They prey upon the unrenewed mind of man. And the more alive you are in the Adamic nature and the more unrenewed your mind is, the more they have to devour in your life. And if you can't beat the small things, what are you going to do when the big ones show up? That's a biblical principle. If you can't run with the footmen, what are you going to do when the horses arrive? If you can't handle the darkness that God, that God has allowed to put, be in your life right now, what are you going to do when things really increase? Self-focus is one of the main tools the enemy uses to pull you away from the invitation of God. Because within self-focus, you miss your now with Jesus. Your now is traded for something that is temporary. And the now you have with God is the only time you have. Self-focus will put you in the future or it will put you in the past. And it steals from you the now you have with God. One of the ways for people who are not caught in the carnality of, of immorality is this, is that they love God so much that their relationship with God becomes inadvertently about themselves so that they can be better for the God they love, all the while it's still being about themselves. It's a vicious trap. We care more about our morality than his desire. Do you realize that God's desire can be fulfilled through immorality? I'm not saying we should be immoral. I'm saying that he can work with imperfection. And if you're worried about being perfect before God's going to use you or be a part of his purposes and his plans, you're never going to be used. The, the, the focus of the enemy is to get you so focused on where you need to change that you miss the one who's supposed to change you. And, and you create this microcosm of religion that if you adhere to it perfectly or enough or be better enough that you're going to actually be better for God and he's going to love you more. You won't say that, but that's what's in our heads. That God is pleased with me when I can go a whole week without screwing up. Who's at the center of that thought? Sounds good. Sounds religious. Sounds like Christianity. God is pleased with faith. And if in the middle of my failures and fears and shortcomings, I'm still holding on 
to faith that he's my father. And it doesn't matter how messed up I am. I will not quit on him because he did not quit on me. That's what pleases God. And he will work out of me the things that I built in me if I believe in him and keep him as the focus of my life. But the enemy wants to give you something to look at in yourself to focus on to be better for God. It's the same thing that happened in Genesis 3. Do this and you'll be like, more like him. When they were already exactly like him. You with me? The most manipulative thing the enemy will use in your life is your love for God. And if you don't have love for God, the most manipulative thing he'll use in your life is your love for yourself. Either way, love is the most manipulable thing the enemy can use. Because within love, you find your desire. And within your desire, you find your ability to be manipulated. Even for God. We have to come to the full, concreted understanding of our identity. And when your identity is secure in God, you already know he can love you no more than he already does. And that makes you unmanipulable. But if you don't have a renewed mind, your, your mindset comes to the idea that, hey, if I can just get past this, God will be pleased. No, he's pleased with faith in your journey. Because, listen, the, 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 there is no destination. I don't know who told you that. In this life, there is no arrival. There's only the journey. And if you can't find God in your journey, you're never going to have an arrival. It is the now moments with God that you have. You don't own the future. You don't own the past. The only time God lets you touch the future is by faith, and that's something your mind and your intellect can't understand or touch. You don't own it in that sense. You're participating in it, but he owns it. He gives it to you to participate in, but your present is where you meet him. Do you know where God is present? In the midst of your arguments with your husband and your wife. That's where God's present. Doesn't he say in Psalm 46, I believe, somewhere in there, Psalm 42, somewhere up in there, that he's our ever-present help in time of need? In the middle of your arguments and your chaos, don't, aren't you in need? Well, where is he present? Well, how come you don't see him? It's because you're trained to see chaos and to respond to darkness. We respond more to the devil than we do the Holy Spirit. Because we respond to emotion, not faith. I would, I, if I were a betting man, I'd bet 90% of us in this room respond more to emotion than we do to faith. If you want to see how emotional someone is, correct them. See, faith will say, thank you for loving me enough to say something. Emotion will say, how dare you? Are you with me? So self-focus is the doorway that the enemy uses to plant every other demonic issue in our life. Name a sin. Doesn't matter what it is. And at the center, self will be present. Unforgiveness, self. 
Lust, self. Pride, self. Fear, self. Anger, self. Division, gossip, isolation, depression, You simply put, the church of Jesus Christ today has had very little relationship with the cross of Jesus whom they say they love. We love Jesus, but we don't love his cross. Paul said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death. He said, when I was with you, Corinthians, I, 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 was, I knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. He said, I die daily. I take up my cross every day. See, the more intimate you are with the cross of Jesus, the less intimate you are with the sin that once easily beset you. See, but I can say this generic theology of the cross, and most of us are like, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means when you're in the moment of fighting with your wife and everything's just absolutely chaos, it's the cross to stop and go. Thank you, God, for this argument. Because in it, I believe you are going to ruin the powers of darkness in my marriage. And I'm going to humble myself and apologize to my wife, even if I'm not wrong. And I will die this death, even though I'm innocent or guilty. Because Jesus was a sacrifice completely innocent. And he never once justified himself. If you find yourself in the middle of an argument and you're trying to prove why you're innocent, you've already missed your moment and your invitation from God. Everybody wants to sound spiritual and theological, but whenever your whole family is a, a complete train wreck, your theology is worth nothing. If, if you and I in our hardest moments can't re naturally respond like a son, then we're not secure in our identity and we're manipulable. Even by humanity. Somebody who's lived enough life and is smart enough, who's a predator, can watch you long enough, find which buttons to push in you and control your life. I could do it if I wanted to. I know enough about people. God's given me a gift to see. I can see what would set you off and what wouldn't. Wisdom tells me certain things, and I could make you really mad because you're manipulable. You know the people we don't like the most in life? The ones that can't be manipulated. And we call those people arrogant. Because we wouldn't know if confidence, the difference between confidence and arrogance if it bit us in the rear end. Most people didn't like Paul and they didn't like Jesus because they were not manipulable. Does this make sense? See, the difference between confidence and arrogance is confidence will lay on its face for the one who is attacking them while his arrogance will be busy starting a war. You with me? Self-focus.
to look at another through the eyes of self, to look at self, to look at family, to look at everything and how it comes back down to you. If there was a funnel in your life and everything that was poured into it, all of your work, your dreams, your marriage, your child life, everything, your money, your time, your vacations, it was, if it funneled all the way down, who would it land on? Jesus or you? If the, if the condensed version of your, of your life, the pie chart, if you will, the graph of everything in your life was accumulated, what, who, who would most of it be poured out to? Because your life is an offering. It is yours to give away to whoever you want, but you will give it to somebody. I tell people all the time, it's ignorance to not understand that you are a sacrifice. Who's? That's up to you. People in this life who are strong and arrogant and think that they are, they're their own man. Or, no, you're, you are, you're somebody else's fool. <laughs> you, just, you just choose who that is. Some of us are Instagram's fool or Facebook's fool or money's fool or our job's fool, but you're somebody's fool. Might as well be a fool for Jesus. You're a sacrifice. You're being poured out for another man's dream. If you work a secular job and you work for somebody else, you're being poured out for somebody else's vision. You're somebody's sacrifice. Yours, your wife's, your kids. Are you Christ's? That's what I'm asking. Are you Christ's sacrifice? Are you being poured out for him? Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that it's possible to work secular jobs and use those to turn them around so, so awesomely that we can be a sacrifice for Christ in the midst of that. That we can be poured out to Jesus in the middle of blue-collar vocation. Does this make sense to you? The spirit of religion is um, us-centered, all the while calling it for God. Do you realize God loves you right where you're at? He doesn't love the things you're involved in, but he loves you right where you're at. And the love he has for you right where you're at is to draw you out of where you're at. The presence of God is also one of the most deceiving things you'll ever experience in your life. Because when the presence of God falls on somebody who hasn't given their life to Jesus, they automatically think that because God touched them, they're born again. That is incorrect. Every time in Scripture, every time in Scripture, did I say that? Did I say every time in Scripture? I want to make sure I get that out. Every time in Scripture when the Holy Spirit comes, it's to draw us out of where we're at, not to confirm where we're at. Even Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, he goes into the waters of a sinless, sinless, sinner's baptism as a sinless man. The Holy Spirit falls upon him, and the first thing the Spirit does when the Spirit touches him and falls upon him is what? Is it pulls him out of where he's at to take him where he should be. True or not? Is Jesus not our example? 
But how many times people, because they've had an encounter with God at one point in their life, mistake that for salvation, and they think that God is with them. He's still trying to draw them because their character and their nature has not changed. Their theology is intact because they're now smart sinners, but they're not born of the Spirit. They don't follow the Master. They're not constant pursuit of God. God's in constant pursuit of them. They're waiting on God to touch them the next time. And the church they like to go to happens to have the presence of God on Sunday morning, thus confirming their, their idea of salvation whenever if they can't produce and manifest that presence in the midst of their arguments, I wonder if they're saved. Because truly saved people have the Spirit in and on them all the time. They're not in and out. And if they're out, they get back in as soon as they possibly can. Because the conviction will not let them live the way they're living. They have to change. Salvation is the identification of Christ so deeply inside of us that it changes us to look just like him. Being touched by the presence is just a washed pig. You possess the same nature. Your theology is intact because you hang around sheep. But your nature will run to the mud every time it's offered. There should come a moment in your life where your wife or your husband antagonizes the fire out of you and it doesn't move you at all. <laughs> all you see in them is what Christ sees. And you can't hate them because you are becoming love. These moments are missed when we put the focus and attention on ourselves. Your relationship with Jesus is not for your growth. It is for his pleasure. Did you hear what I just said? You do not need God to come and rescue you from this certain sin so you can finally feel better about yourself. You need God because when he's pleased, you naturally will be also. You're so connected with him through the prayer of John 17 that when you please your father, the overflow comes out of your life and you no longer feel the need to pursue anything else because your goal is to make him happy. And when he's happy because you're connected, so are you. When Christianity moves away from the pleasure of God, it will create a religion in trying to please him through works. There's only one thing that pleases the Father. Again, it's found in the beginning book of Matthew. The first time that word is used under the new covenant. It's amazing was in context to a son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let me, let me, let me just break this down for you real quick. I'm going to rabbit trail, but I think, it, I think it fits. How many miracles did Jesus do before his baptism, according to Scripture? How 
How many sermons did he preach? How many ministries did he start? Churches did he build? How many works did he do for the Father? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Was it the works of Jesus that pleased God, or was it who he was? Let me ask you this. Are you pleased with your children because they're your children, or because they do good all the time? They don't do good all the time. But when you look at them, you know you love them. If it would have been maybe teaching or something else, the Lord would have come at some point and said, this is my beloved son in whose works I'm well pleased. Will we be judged by our works? Absolutely. But you understand this, that true works come and flow from true identity. Which is why it was the first thing that Amy tried to attack in Jesus. It was the first thing he tried to attack in Adam. And it's the first thing he tries to attack in you. Do you realize that self-focus Missing your now with God is an assault on your identity. Because the DNA of God is not self-focused. The DNA of God is giving. The DNA of God is others-focused. Self-focus is a trap. It's a trick. Fix yourself so you can be better for when in reality, if you just focus on pleasing the Father, I promise you, he will do his work in changing who you are. You with me? What does Jesus say? He says, take no thought for... If that were a command, which I think it is, how guilty would you be? Why does he say take no thought for tomorrow? Because tomorrow is not where you meet God. Where do you meet God? Right now. You had a car wreck? Guess what? Who's there? God. Where do you meet him? Right there. You're depressed? Guess who's there? God. Where do you meet him? Right there. You meet God in your now. Your now doesn't have to be at church, even though you are right now at church. Your now is with God. And if you can't do now with God, you're never going to have your tomorrow dream fulfilled. Never. Your past, you don't own it anymore. It's his. It's in history. It's written down. You know how many people live in the past? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Because some of you, a lot of you do. Some of you have such weak minds that the moment someone offends you, that's all you can do is stew on it for the next week, rolling it over in your head over and over and over and over. And they're living rent-free because you're weak. And you have not strengthened yourself in Christ. 
and now you're owned by another master. Another fallen human controls your destiny. They're not even there, and they're ruining your day. They're stealing your, your now. Remember Job's wife? Have you, if, you, if you read in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, there's two times where the devil comes before God accusing Job. Yeah? It's the voice of the accuser. We do that to ourselves. We have so identified with the, with, the, with the mouth of the devil that he doesn't even have to accuse us anymore. He's trained us to do it against ourselves and against others. So Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, he comes in as the voice of the accuser. And then in Job chapter 3 or 4 or 5, whatever, somewhere up in there, his wife becomes the mouth of the devil. She says the same thing that, that, that the devil was saying to God. Curse God and die. He is literally in her mouth now. All to steal Job's is now. We're only good Christians when we're flowing in the anointing. What happens when the presence isn't in the room? <laughs> my Bible says that he sets a table before me in the presence of my... You know what we want? We don't want that. We want the, we want the table in the presence of the Lord. You don't know your father. That's not how your father works. Your father works by putting a table for you in the presence of your enemies. If we can't thrive in the presence of our enemies, then we're missing out on the DNA of God inside of us. The presence of your enemies is the now of God in your life that causes you to eat from tables that they're not worthy of. And it's actually a way of God in the principalities and powers of darkness to be able to feast on God in the, in the presence of your enemies is spiritual warfare. Why? Because he's, he's placing something in front of you that is of him to partake of and he's reminding the devil who's against you you can't have me anymore so watch them eat in the middle of your attack but we don't see it that way because we don't have renewed minds all we see is the enemy because our now is stolen Ezekiel 37 he comes out to this valley of dry bones which is a prophetic statement against uh, Israel but it's also a, an indictment against the church and a prophetic person who doesn't have a renewed mind, all they'll see is the dry bones. When God sees an army. Let me ask you this in your marriage. You see dry bones, don't you? <laughs> How come you can't see the army? Maybe not in your marriage, but you have, a, you, have a, you have a situation somewhere in your life. Maybe it's in your own self. Every time you look in the mirror, all you see is what? How come you can't see the, the army? Are you catching what I'm saying? See, within the unrenewed mind is the playground for the enemy. To the degree you have your mind renewed... It's to the same degree that the enemy can't touch you. Jesus says, the prince of this world comes, and he has what? No place in me. Do you know why? Because he had the mind of Christ. Well, guess what? The Bible says you have the same, same mind. 
In God's mind, you have his mind. Judgment day will be increased because when you stand before him, he's going to say, how come you used the mind that I killed and didn't use the one that I gave? How come you didn't have my mind in this situation? I gave you my mind. How come you didn't use it? I gave you my mind for your wife. How come you didn't see it? I gave you my mind for your boss, for your husband. How come you didn't use it? How come you didn't see it? I gave you my mind for your pastor, and all you did was ridicule him. How come you didn't see it? I gave you my mind for your finances, and you just saw your poverty. I gave you my mind for your nation, and all you saw was the hypocrisy. We have trained ourselves to be moved by hell. Guys, how patient are you? Literally, ask yourself this. Some guy walks up on the street, bowed out chest, comes up, slaps you in the face. What do you do? Hmm? I know what you'd do. The first reaction isn't going to go, hey, bro, I'm glad I could be the single source of a place in your life where you could offset your energy. And I know you're so full of rage that God sent me into your life to be a source of peace. Anybody going to say that? (laughs) But see, that's the reality, is that Jesus was smacked in the face and then taunted by it. Oh yeah, you're a prophet? Tell Tell us who hit you. But he understood. He understood that mankind needed an avenue to release all of its vengeance. And he chose to be that vessel. He knew he was someone's sacrifice. You haven't figured it out yet. God's our ever-present help in time of need. The devil's constantly stealing your now. Business, boss, clients, pressures, stresses, all that, it passes away. Listen, what you were stressed about 10 years ago, you don't even remember. On this day, 10 years ago, you were stressed about something, and you have no idea what it was, but it was taking your entire, you were probably crying on some girlfriend's shoulder. And you don't even remember what it was. Man, you were internalizing it so deeply it was causing you spiritual angst. You don't even remember what it was. But yet Christ was there and he's here today and he'll be here for every moment of your life. But when the devil's plan, his trick is to steal your invitation that God is giving to you through your moment to take that away from you by putting your mind and your, your eyes on your past, your present pain, someone else, the, the faults, the failures, the history, and not seeing Christ. Are you understanding what I'm saying, please? Yes? See, accusations that come from someone else or you out, it, it demands everybody to look at something in the past or something in the future or something, a, a failure, a fault. But conviction, 
brings hope in, to, the, to, the, to the present. It will bring hope to your present. So what do we do? Like, the devil knows the ways of God. Do you guys understand that? The devil knows the ways of the Father. He knows it's a way of God to expose you. Mark 4.22, he's read the verse. Everything that's in secret comes to light. You'll always get caught. There is no sin you'll ever do that will not come to light. You will always get caught. Some people even see it on you. They're just too polite to say anything, and they're just walking with you. That happens to me a lot. I see stuff on people, and I'm like, ooh, wow. That's a doozy. We got to walk with that one because that one's going to require a little bit of relationship for the rebuke. It will always come out. It will always come out. So the devil knows that. So what does he do? He waits for the moment where your father loves you so much that he exposes you through your attitudes, your failures, your shortcomings, usually through relationships. And then the devil gets you to, to look at you or someone else in an in a, in a accusatory way. And thereby you completely undermine everything God did by the exposure. The exposure was for your good. But because of the self-focus, you ruin your invitation from God, which is the exposure, to come closer to him by making it about you or someone who hurt you. See, it doesn't matter what someone does to you. What matters is, is your response to it. I'm going to say that again. It does not matter what someone does to you. The true devastating power comes when you choose what you do with what happens. If you choose to become a victim, you are on a long downward spiral. But if you choose to become Christ's sacrifice, you are elevated by their pain. It was sent for your good. We don't know the ways of our father. The devil does. So when God starts exposing the dross in your life, the enemy gets you to identify with the dross. Because junk comes out. And it's not pretty when it does. It is horrible. And you're like, man, I suck. It's like, no, you're not the dross. You think you are. You're the gold. The dross is in there. Yes. But the gold becomes more valuable when the dross is removed. If you identify with the dross, the junk that comes out of your life, or you or identify with somebody else's dross and, I, and label them by that, then you're not operating the will of God. When you see God, when you see the Lord pulling junk out of someone else, our first thing is to accuse instead of praise God. What, what do you mean? This is terrible. Like, no, you don't understand. God's getting all this stuff out of them. We got to help them see that this is not a bad thing. And if they can hold on to the fact that this stuff is dross and they're the gold, they're going to reject that and then God's going to use the situation to purify them and then they're going to be at peace finally in the situation in their life. But we don't do that. We see all the, he should have never said that. And they should have did that to me. Why, because you're a God? Should we worship you too? Should we make songs about you on Sunday morning? Everybody thinks the worship's about themselves anyway. I didn't like that song. We're not worshiping you. Service went too long. I mean, go somewhere else. I mean, I want you to stay, but I don't. This is God's kingdom. If you don't like long worship services, don't go to heaven. 
It's all about us, isn't it? It's just it's, when we get there, it won't be about us anymore. I know that Lord is patient with us. He's long-suffering with our stupidity, especially mine. Especially mine. Thank God. But at one point in our life, it won't be about us anymore. And if we don't get that mindset now, we're going to be unfamiliar with heaven when we get there. Please, guys, hear me. Nobody cares about our opinions. No one. They care about our identity, who we are. Who we are to people means more than what we say, what we do, the nature we embody. And that only comes by exposure. How many of you guys are exposing something in you right now? If you're not raising your hand, then I feel sorry for you because you're blind to what God is doing in your life. And you're actually at the point in your life where you think you don't need help. I need more help now than I ever did. But I'm closer to God than I ever was. It's a weird thing. The closer you get to holiness, the more unholy you realize you are. The farther you're away from, un- from holiness, the more holy you think you are. It's just You get close to God and you fall on your face. You remember John, this man who spent 60 years bleeding for the gospel. The guy, the one who's, who... who lay his head on Jesus' chest and he sees him in a new reality and he falls on his face. He was so close to holiness, he was like, man, I, I don't even deserve to stand. <laughs> this is the dude, the one. Some of you are so far from God. You think you're Okay. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always. Is that a now, a now statement? I'm with you. Emmanuel's a now statement. God is with you. How many times in your life have you prayed, God, where are you? <laughs> it's because you don't know his ways. His ways are to expose you, to take you to the wilderness. You want, I want to be like Jesus. Let's go to the wilderness. Why do you have me here? I just answered your prayer. God's not answering my prayers. He's, God's like, oh my God. See, what he separated you from was going to take you away from him. And you're mad that he separated you from the thing that was going to kill you. Because you thought it was going to give you happiness and peace. When ultimately the thing that he took you away from was something you probably chose for yourself the first time around without asking him. It was his mercy to separate you from your decision. Are you understand what I'm saying? The now with God. Paul says, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand, stand the wiles of the, the The trick of the enemy is to get you to exit your relationship with God right now. To overthrow you, to overload your senses, emotionally, practically, circumstantially, to so overstimulate people who are moved by their emotions that they can no longer see God. They are moved by their anger, by their fear, by their betrayal. Instead of realizing all those things are sent from the Father to destroy the Adamic nature in us. 
Don't get upset at yourself when you screw things up. The first thing that should come out of your mouth is, thank you, Father, that you love me enough to discipline me. Because this was in me before, I just didn't see it. I was deceived. Within every correction of God is the exposure of deception. It means he loves you. It does. You should be concerned if he's not correcting you. Do you know the difference between deception and delusion? The devil brings deception, God brings delusion. Delusion is when you know the truth and you won't submit to it, so God finally gives you over to a reprobate mind and takes the mind of Christ from you. It is dangerous to withstand truth because the more longer you withstand truth, the more God's going to give you over to a mindset of delusion. We can see it in the culture. It's a deluded mindset. No way that you can come to a place in society where it's okay to butcher children in transsexual issues without understanding that is a deluded mindset. That is God giving people over to delusion so that they would believe a lie. And when God, the Father, sees a society that is rejecting him, he will give them a spirit of delusion, and their lie is their truth. You never want your Father to finally give you over to a spirit of delusion where you think you're right, because he'll let you have it, and he won't correct you anymore, and he'll let you go along your merry way, and that is your judgment, that he's not dealing with you anymore. That is the judgment of God, where you no longer feel conviction. Are you with me? I want to read this one verse. I'm going to close. John chapter 19, verse 18. I have more here, but I just don't have time. Verse 18 says, Where they crucified him and the two others that were with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the middle. I think we missed that. God's always right in the midst. of your deepest, hardest, most difficult things you'll ever go through. The two men on either side, one represented the one who couldn't see him, and the other finally recognized him. That when you're hanging there, so is he. Where's God? It's right in the midst of you. He's in your now. We don't retrain ourselves to think differently. We're going to miss him every moment he actually shows up. Because most Christians would call this moment right here from the devil. If you were there on that day and did not know the Messiah had to give up his life like the average Jew did not know, and you watched this crucifixion, you would say, this is not of God. One of Jesus' best, Peter, said, no. 
This is not the will of the Lord for you. Trying to be prophetic. (laughs) Peter, you're wrong. There's going to be so many times in your life where you're going to look at certain things that happen. You're going to go, this is not God. God's not in this. Oh, yes, he is. And in the pain, the devil tries to steal your recognition of Emmanuel, that God is with you. You just can't see it. You're too blinded by what someone did to you, how they hurt you, how they wounded you. I'm so thankful that Jesus' eyes were not clouded when he hung there. He looked past the darkness and past the pain and past the sin and actually saw the Father so clearly that he said, why have you forsaken me? That's another sermon. But he wasn't blinded by the pain, the betrayal. He wasn't bitter hanging there. Everybody left me. Nobody's for me. They're all against me. And i I got to take all their sin. And I'm the innocent one. They have no right to do this to me. And he was right. You had no right to treat God the way you've treated him. You have no right to treat God the way you're treating him now. You've reduced him down to a belief, an idea. When he's a king who should own every second of our lives. But he only owns the ones we give him. So I'm not going to do anything crazy this morning as far as like a a main altar call or anything, but I'm going to do this. Stay seated. If you've missed your moments and you realize you've fallen into the trap of the enemy, This requires repentance to get out of. And repentance, biblically speaking, means to change the way you think. It's basically mind renewal, which is why I recommended the series. But if that's you and there's a place in your heart, you're like, God, I, I have really missed you in my, in my now. Like, I'm just, I'm existing. I'm existing at my job I'm existing in my marriage. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just trying to pay my bills. You're worth more than that. Because he says you are. And this requires repentance. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. And we're going to pray. Don't stand unless you mean it. God sees your heart. And there's no shame to anybody who sits. I just want you to say, Jesus, forgive me for not realizing how much I need you still. I've grown independent and I've used a mind that you did not create. And that mind has formed my character. But I want you, and I ask you, to give me grace 
and to forgive me. And I want to live in the now with you. No matter what that is, that I bring you to the center of my life. And I do life with you instead of for you. So help me. Holy Spirit, fill, fix, repair, and expose every area of my life where I oppose myself. And help me eradicate the things in my heart as you bring them up so that Father can be pleased. And I would no longer live with Christianity that has at its center myself. But I would live with my faith for the pleasure of God. Just begin to thank him. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to work in every heart here. Do the way you do. Only you can move. Only you can change. Only you can touch. Only you can, can move people. Let it be by your spirit, Father. And let it be by power. And let it bring forth fruit. I pray for these, those that have prayed this in sincerity. That God, you would be gracious to them and you would establish a community around them of people to help them understand the ways of God and the operations of Father. That when things are difficult and are happening, you're always in the midst. You're always in the midst of our now. And even in our now, we know you're right next to us. And we believe by faith you're for us. Help us not to lose the invitation of God in every moment just because of what the enemy's trying to do. That we put on your armor, that you give us the right to wear your clothing, which is armor, to be able to withstand every attack against our identity, every attack against our purpose, which is bringing you glory. We honor you, Father. We need you. We ask for the rest of this day to be under the influence of your presence and your power. We ask these things in Jesus' name, believing. Amen. You guys are welcome to come back tonight at 5. If you want to be here, we have discipleship class. If not, we bless you guys.